This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 11, episode 38. This is Writing Excuses, relationship as subgenre. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Mary. I'm Howard. I'm Dan. And we are still talking about how good of friends we are. Yes. <laughs> and we are still friends. Still friends. Still such good friends. Still good, even if we can't agree on <laughs> Lies of Loch Lamora. Um, Lies of Loch Lamora. We were going to say meatloaf, but yeah. <laughs> oh, meatloaf. oh you just, missed that. Uh, no. All right. We're <laughs> relationship has subgenre. Um, I have yet to write a book where the relationship isn't what I would call the number two thing for the book. I don't think I've written one where it's the number one thing yet um, because of the style of stories that I tell. But it's almost always number two, most important, mm-hmm. you know, most important subplot, if you will. I actually did just write one where mm-hmm. relationship would be number one. But that, it was John Cleaver 5. Oh, yeah. I think mm-hmm. that's the only time mm-hmm. I've done it, though. Um, this is just of, to me, vital importance because I've often said stories depend on how good the characters are, right? You can have a great setting, but if your characters are lame, it's just not going to be a good book. And so how those characters rub against each other and how they throw off sparks and how they, um, they come together or break apart is a big part of what makes a story work. That level of, uh... And, and again, we're not talking necessarily romance, but that level of character intimacy mm-hmm. uh, rarely floats to the number two point in the schlock mercenary right. stuff that I'm telling. Uh, it's it's always there in the backstory somewhere. Right. I know that these people are friends. Um, it's difficult for me to bring that to the surface because making punchlines mm-hmm. and comic drops there means tearing apart relationships in ways that I just don't want to, in in ways that I don't think serve the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and my stuff is clearly relationship-driven, yes. but with things like Valor and Vanity, it's a heist novel. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the relationship is... Right, the relationship evolves, but the main plot of the story is the heist. Right. Definitely. And and this is the kind of thing that we're talking about when we're talking mm-hmm. about using relationship as a subgenre. Yes. That your your overall structure, the big driving structure, might be one of the other elemental genres. Yes. But then you bring in this relationship thing. And, and you can do this, these relationship beats. Mm-hmm. You can do them in, you know, something that is sustained all the way through the book, or you can also do them just in smaller sections. Mm-hmm. Like the, you know, you can have one of the ways you can make a, a main character more sympathetic is their relationship right. with another character, like with their mom, with their little sister, with their dog. So let me ask you this. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I really hit the point that Promises, fulfilling on promises, making sure that your story is progressing along the lines of what your main story is. How can you keep relationship, for instance, from uh, how can you make it be part of the story without being the thing that drives the whole uh, turn and the act two, all of this sort of thing? How can you keep it from taking over? Do you want to? Do you not want to? I mean, how do you approach this? 
So I think, and we touched on this a little bit in the previous episode mm-hmm. on relationship, where we talked about the external stresses and what they reveal about the relationship. Uh-huh. And that's one way that you can manage that with relationship as a subgenre is mm-hmm. that you're focusing, you know, the external stresses, that's the major plot. That's right. the thing that's driving it. And it is revealing things about mm-hmm. the characters, but you are not... You're not making the um, the problem between the characters the driving point of the plot. Right. So, you know, Lethal Weapon is a relationship. Yes. But they have a bad guy to stop. Yeah. That is the drive. That's the action that is driving mm-hmm. the, re- the evolution in the relationship between the characters happens because of the driving action. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would say that it is a matter of where you kind of put your beats mm. is a very big point in this. Because I'm thinking about where I've used it as subgenre. And oftentimes we have our big climax and there is a beat right before and a beat right after with the relationship that kind of says you don't have to worry about this right now. I understand this is unresolved right before the big, but we are gonna we're going to shelve that for this. I'm going to put it aside and then we're going to come back to it. And afterward, like, all right, now that we have time to actually think how do I feel about this person, and what? How do I? How do I deal with these emotions? Yeah. Um, and those two beats work very well as kind of this sort of bracketing that I often talk about, where you know I open one problem and then I try to close it in reverse order that I've opened the problems. Yeah, which is the way mm-hmm. I handle when I'm doing things with mice quotient, the, yeah. the, the nesting code idea. And and I think that you're absolutely right that that one of the things you can do. Um, there's a tendency for people that the first thing you encounter is mm-hmm. the, the problem that you latch onto. Right. And so I think that if you have the character problem be the second thing that you mm-hmm. and and honestly, one of the other things that will affect the reader's idea of how important something yeah. is is how much time you spend looking at it. Right. How much time you spend with it. So if you if you want it to be the primary driver. Yeah. You spend a lot more time, a lot more words on the page. But if you want it to be secondary, you just don't give it as much stage time. You know, I'm thinking of a lot of action films I've seen where they resolve the relationship plot right before the big mm-hmm. act three climax of well, the film. And the reason I think a lot of them do that mm-hmm. is because, you know, as you are trying to find ways in which these two different threads can mm-hmm. matter to each other, yeah, especially in buddy cop kind of action yep. movies— we need to learn to trust each other, and once we have that trust, then we can finally win. Yeah. Yep. Because we have to work together. This reminds me of the episode that we did with Lou about the Hollywood ending, mm-hmm. where he was talking about how you have the um, relationship character, right, or the viewpoint character, the antagonist, the pro- and, and mm-hmm. the problem, and that the, when the, the it ends, the hero needs to reconcile with the viewpoint character. Mm-hmm. Uh, defeat the villain and uh, resolve or, or solve the problem. Right. And the closer you can have those things together, the more the, the right. stronger that punch is. And one thing I don't think we've talked about before is that we we act like one thing has to be main and another thing has to be sub. Yeah. And the, really, there are plenty of hybrids. I think yeah. that a lot of our buddy cop movies are true hybrids. Yeah, it's fifty fifty. I'm thinking of one of my favorite relationship films, um, which is uh, Beverly Hills Ninja. <laughs> you were not expecting that, that were you? That was not was the last nope. word I thought was nope. going to be in that title. This is Chris Farley and his brother. Yeah. Um, and it is a story about the competent older brother and the the screw-up younger brother and their relationship. Um, 
and how together at the end, the younger brother, the elder brother needs to accept that the younger brother is competent and mm-hmm. give him the, you are good at this. And then the younger brother becomes competent in the way that the older brother, you know, requires requires and together they defeat the bad guys yeah um and this is a really good braiding of this concept where it's a it's these two plots together overlapping their climax yeah one of the hybrids that is coming to mind that i like a lot is the one where you have been a different kind of plot and then at the end you realize oh this was a relationship story the whole time Mm -hmm. kind of idea the the for example catch me if you can yeah, uh, where mm-hmm. it has been a chase movie, it has right. been an investigation mystery movie, and we realize this relationship building between you yeah. know protagonist and antagonist—that's the whole point. By the time we get to the end, and those are dangerous but really powerful when they work. Mm-hmm. The danger in that again is this idea of you as the the author, um, listeners, as you are creating this, missing your beats because what you really have to do is you have to do the stage magician thing, mm-hmm. where you are having a beat on the action plot. And also having a beat on the relationship plot while distracting them with the action plot. Mm. Yeah. While you are, you're basically feeding them their vegetables while they think that they are <laughs> eating a smoothie, like my wife does with my children. Putting <laughs> the, uh, the, the vegetables into the blender and say, oh, I'm going to make it green now. Right. Um, because you like green things. It's that you've got to be giving them. The, and, but when that happens and you can have mm-hmm. that reversal. It can be very powerful in those sort yeah. of hybrid plots. You know, in talking about this, I'm I'm <laughs> I'm considering my own work and realizing that in many cases, uh, when we talk about relationship as a subgenre, uh, the relationship elements. When we talked about relationship mm-hmm. uh, two weeks ago, um, you know, I mentioned Act Two disaster. Relationship right. falls apart. Um, when relationship is a is a subgenre uh, or is a seasoning element, um, some of our favorite bits from relationship stories, the moments where these characters are standing in support of each other, might be the only piece that we get. It's just there to say these people have a relationship and it's solid. We're moving with the story here on a on a higher level. Mm-hmm. We're not going to do a relationship crisis, but we have to tell you that these two people are friends and will they they can depend on each other. Yeah. Um, and at that level, uh, I, I just I bring that up because there are a lot of uh, a lot of stories where the big crisis is: Are these two people going to be friends? And then we have a sequel, and we have to tear them apart mm-hmm. in order to have the sequel. And I hate that. Yeah, I, just, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. This, this is something that, that actually built uh, a moment that actually probably goes in, in ensemble later. But, um, but one of the things you're talking about is demonstrating that they have a shared history. And you reminded me of the scene in Firefly where they're cutting the apples open. And they cut the apples. Uh, they, they always cut their apples open because one time there was a grenade in an apple. Mm-hmm. Right. And and that and you don't ever have to see that. It's just it it's that, oh, there's backstory. Right. Let's go ahead and stop for our book of the week. Dan, you were gonna tell us about And I Darken. Yes, this is a really cool book by Kirsten White. It's called And I Darken. It is a historical fiction about Vlad the Impaler mm-hmm. with the awesome alternate history twist that 
he is gender swapped. And so instead of Vlad, we get Lada, the female Vlad the Impaler. And other than that, it's pure historical fiction, and it is fascinating to watch. Um, one of the uh, other authors that I was talking to about the book described Lada as Surely in some language there's a word that means cuddly and terrifying at the same time. <laughs> and she is immensely lovable and you want her to win, but she's Vlad the Impaler. She's really scary and uh, it's just great. And, and what I really love about it, and the reason I wanted to use it as the book of the week today, is that uh, Lada has a younger brother who is everything she is not. He is weak, but he is beautiful. He knows how to talk to people in a way that she can't. And watching the two of them hate and love each other and grow up together at the same time is really, really cool. It's a wonderful book, And I Darken by Kirsten White. All right. So let's, uh, let's talk just a little bit more about how to do this in a story. Specifically, let's assume you don't have a lot of time. Like Howard, you don't have a lot of time for relationship stuff in your stories. How can you make the time you have potent? powerful and work with the reader despite it maybe being very overshadowed by I, other events there the the tricks that i use um are analogous to the things that uh that writers are going to use mm-hmm. um i will build a scene and i will put faces in the scene with facial expressions on them that suggest that these two people have a feeling towards each other mm-hmm. that is a countercurrent to what is being said. You know, maybe they disagree, yeah. maybe they agree. There is a subtext here, and in most cases, the reader is going to tell their own story about that relationship, and I have to let them. You know, it's, it's very interesting in your stories. I don't know if you do this. I'm sure you do it intentionally. Um, and it's broader scope than relationship. I will tell you I do it intentionally. <laughs> what is it? I can tell the relationship between two people by the joke. I read the punchline, and I see what type of joke is it. And that tells me how these people are, you know, these two, these two characters. Um, is it a biting joke? Is it a gentle ribbing? Is it a us-against-them joke? Um, us-versus-environment joke? That first punchline, when you put two people together in one of your stories, tells me a ton. And, and yes, that's, that's deliberate. I will not do a a comic drop between two characters where their status is is stable and and having it break would be story critical. Right. Well, and you mm-hmm. also don't seem to do as many comic drops when you're first reintroducing us to someone or where you're giving us new characters. Yeah. You wait for a little while and then they start pulling the rug out from underneath us underneath us unless at the beginning they're in a somewhat antagonistic relationship already. Yeah. Well, the, I love the story you've got going on right now. One of the little side plots is two alien scientists who are studying mm-hmm. something and who are constantly tearing each other down, and I love that. Yeah, and that's the that's, kind of thing you couldn't do with the normal crew because mm-hmm. they have to work together, they have and to get along, they have to preserve writing, authority. When I started writing some of those jokes, I realized I do not have anybody in the cast who can tell these jokes. Mm. And I am, it is too late in the story for me to introduce new characters who are story critical, but I bet I can get away with pulling people from a previous story and putting them in a new relationship and running this little side plot for a while. Uh, and it sounds mm-hmm. like I'm getting away with it. Oh, it's totally Whew. working. Yeah, it's like fun. It. Now, one of the... Um 
the the other things along those lines because I'm thinking about um, other relationships besides romances. Uh, but the but the Han and Chewie mm-hmm. relationship, yeah, that is a relationship that is conveyed to us in a very compressed amount of time. And one of the things that they do, which is I think a really good trick, mm-hmm. is Han and Chewie are arguing with mm-hmm. each other, mm-hmm. and someone else says something, and Han is like, no, you do not get to say that to my friend. Mm-hmm. And so just that, and it's something that you can do in moments, mm-hmm. set up the fact that, you know, that these two people are close enough that they can argue with each other, like like old housewives. Mm-hmm. And But no, no, nope. nobody else gets to do that. The other moment which I think establishes relationship beautifully is in Iron Man with uh, Agent Colton right, and yep. um, Pepper when he's getting off. And she's like, and, and how's the, how's the, the cello play? How's yeah. the cellist? And that says these two people are close enough that they know each other. They know the relationship, the, the dating. Right. They know the outside of this business relationship. And right. it's done with a single line. Now, I'm going to give a reminder that when we're talking about it as a subplot, even if it's very minor, one of the curiosities to the reader has to be, how is this going to develop? That's, what's, that's what makes it a subplot rather than just seasoning of relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in this case, that's seasoning of a relationship. But the relationship of Colton to the team is not. That gets more right. into ensemble, well, but, but it's the vital with, the to thing that with story. Colton. The thing mm-hmm. with Colton and Coulson. his relationship, Colson, thank yes. you. Colson, sorry, that was my fault. Uh, the, things with, the thing with Colson and his relationship is that at the time it is shown to us, mm-hmm. Tony doesn't care. Right. Tony's like, wait, who's Phil? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Phil Colson. Yeah. yeah. Tony doesn't care. That's a good and point. And then we have mm-hmm. our moment where he is hovering there in front of Loki yeah. and says, his name was Phil. Yes. And I realize, oh. Tony now cares. Yeah. That relationship came forward, and that was that was really stirring for me. And it, it didn't feel like ensemble stirring. It right. felt like like that intimacy. No, that that's exactly. I mean, that's that you just hit it exactly. That's the distinction, right? Because mm-hmm. it does go somewhere in that story, um, and that's what makes it. I mean, it's plot central. Um, even though it's a subplot, it's a minor thing. You're really not even paying attention to until that moment. Um, we are out of time. I want to give us some homework. And my suggestion to you for homework is that two weeks ago, if you did what Dan told you, you took a romantic comedy and you highlighted the beats of this romantic comedy. I want you to take that outline that you've done, and if you didn't do it, go do it, and I want you to change it into a different kind of relationship. I want yes. you to take these same beats and say, all right, now it's, it's mentor-student. And I'm going to build the same story around this, but with this, a very different relationship. Or I'm going to be buddy cop, or I'm going to be mother-daughter, or I'm going to be whatever. Take this and take the same beats and transition it so to a new So you take the beat map from while you yep. were sleeping uh-huh. and write lethal weapon with it. That's right. <laughs> this has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. 
If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like... Do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus. 